This is episode 64 with professional snowboarder Kimmy Fasani. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. Kimmy Fasani is a professional snowboarder and an epic human. She's most known for her aggressive style of backcountry, freestyle snowboarding, and amazing video parts and absinthe films and transworld snowboarding. She's very respected amongst her peers and has been nominated and won awards like Writer of the Year and Video Part of the Year for the last few seasons. She loves helping mentor other snowboarders, especially other females. She's also a vocal ambassador for several nonprofits. She's married to a professional skier, and she co-owns a bakery. For this episode, I drove to Mammoth Mountain, which was amazing, spent a day riding, then sat down with Kimmy, who at the time was very pregnant. We talk about everything from how she created her dream job, what it takes to be the kind of professional snowboarder she is, and how people have responded to her being pregnant while continuing to train and doing things like snowboarding and rock climbing. We also talk about her mantras on getting over injuries, dealing with loss, and how she gets paid to eat cookies for a living, for real. This is a really special episode. Thanks so much to Kimmy, and thank you to Mammoth Mountain for lining this up. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. All right, so today we have... Kimmy Fasani, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you for having me. We're in Mammoth Mountain at Juniper Lodge. It's so pretty here. It's an amazing time of the year to be here. It's February, but you wouldn't know it. It's February right after the Super Bowl, but when this comes out, it might be March, and you have a little baby on the way. Your baby might not even be in the world, which is so cool. Yep. So maybe we just talk about being pregnant because... That's fascinating. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's, well, that's what's right here right now in front of us. It's so cool. We've got five weeks to go. What's five it been like? Go. It's been such an empowering uh, moment in my life because just going through and seeing how the human body changes and being an athlete and always spending so much time like diligence, like being strong and mentally savvy and and then having the most miraculous thing happen to your body and have you don't have any control over how it's developing or anything. It's just like, it's a creation. It's so cool. So we met these this couple today. We were hiking up Sherwin Lake and we met this couple and they found out I was doing an interview on you. They were super nice. And they're like, you know what's so cool is Kimmy's been going like hardcore all through pregnancy. She's such a stud. So let's talk about that. You've been rock climbing I've been lucky. My body has been so resilient. And I think I've always been a very active person. And when I started, when I first got pregnant, we were on our way to Wyoming uh, when I found out and we were heading out on a two week rock climbing trip. And so from when I was six weeks pregnant until now, I've still been climbing and I just have to taper down my activity level. But there's not really anything that I can't do. I just listen to my body now. Like, yeah, maybe I don't go for long runs. But I try to walk, I try to go snowboarding, I try to still use my body because that's what's going to make me happy and the baby. So wait, you found out when you were on your way to Wyoming? Yeah. Did you just like pull over and 
Well, it was like, I mean, yeah, basically. I We stopped at my brother-in-law's house, and I took a pregnancy test, and sure enough, I was pregnant, and we were leaving to go to Wyoming on a trip we'd already planned. And so we didn't really let it stop us. That's awesome. So you said, like, on the phone that you've gotten some heat for just being active while being pregnant. Yeah, I think there's a misconception, and it's brought up beautiful conversations with people that might... For me, it's been um, interesting to go through as an athlete because so many people like to pass judgment on you when you're pregnant, but they would have, if they would have passed judgment on me while I was snowboarding and doing the craziest lines up in Alaska, it just, it's this convoluted message. You know, it's like, why now that I'm pregnant, do you care so much what I'm doing when, when I'm not pregnant? I can throw myself off these huge cliffs, tumble down faces, and you don't care. It's like you want to see my video parts year after year. But now that I'm pregnant, you're really concerned about my everyday lifestyle. That is really interesting. And and I remember, so the last person I interviewed who recommended I definitely had to interview you was Donna Carpenter, and um, CEO of Burton, such a great woman. And she said, you know, definitely interview Kimmy. She's an incredible human. But when she was pregnant and told me, she was a little nervous to tell me she was pregnant. So what was that like? For me, Donna's been such an influence, an influential person in my career and just a big mentor. She's always stood up for women in leadership and women having a place and having her be the CEO of Burton and my biggest sponsor, having to go to them and say, hey, I've just come off two of my biggest seasons and I'm pregnant. I was really fearful that all of my sponsors would feel like I was taking advantage of them or that I was not making myself worth their investment. And it was my assumptions, you know, that was creating that kind of fear. Uh, But still, it was really hard to call and talk to her directly and say, hey, I am pregnant, but I don't want this to be the end of my snowboarding. How can we make this something that is going to be valuable moving forward? How can we talk to a different audience? And it doesn't change what I stand for. It just is going to change what I do. I think what's so cool is we're in this time in our world where, you know, inclusivity is so big and it's so talked about right now, but it's great to be relatable. And maybe now you're not like, maybe now you're more relatable because you're pregnant you're having kids. You're not some like crazy phenom, unreachable. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, I've never had as much engagement on social media as I have now with women, with men, with families, with this whole new demographic of people that are communicating with me because either they're inspired, they're scared for me, or <laughs> they are really hopeful that they can do the same thing. And it's this whole new world that I've kind of... I'm not the first to go through this by no. any means, but I think being able to showcase it publicly through the channels that we have now with social media is helping other women feel like they weren't alone when they chose to do it. And it's helping other women who want to do it have that kind of different outlook. You're not the first, but what's so interesting is like even in surfing, you know, there's Bethany Hamilton and Elena Blanchard now who has a kid. Lisa Anderson was was the most well-known mom, I think, in the surfing world. But in the snowboarding world, I don't know, maybe because I'm not totally in that world, but I don't know a lot of moms who continued to snowboard. Yeah, and I think it's just 
maybe the women were ready to retire. Exactly. So they chose to step out. But some of them have still been part of it. Like Barrett Christie is still so relevant um, in being such a leader in women. And she did step away for a minute to have her kids. And now she and her husband are very involved in snowboarding. And her kids love it. And I actually was really inspired. I was, when I was five months pregnant, I ran into Bethany and Alana on a beach in Hawaii. And that's so funny. They were friends with my friends. And it was just like this really small world thing where Bethany and I are only about a week apart with her. She's having her second child. But I got to talk to those two girls, Alana more so in depth. And just hearing like their approach to it too was just so empowering. It was so cool to hear these women just talk about how they were just doing the next step in life, but not letting it keep them from the things that they loved. Yeah. I think we're just in a different time in life. I remember even being in corporate America and, and one of our leadership, one of the executives, uh, a male told me, you know, it's not that there's not a lot of women in executive roles because they're not good. It's a lot of them have kids and then they just want to be with their kids and they don't want to keep grinding it out in corporate America. And I think that's what's important for women to know is after I have my child, I don't know where my mentality is going to be. And there's no shame in not wanting to stay working. There's no shame in wanting to go back to work. And I think that's the balance these days that we can have those conversations and it's beautiful and we can open up the dialogue where it's just anything is possible and making sure women feel that as they get pregnant and move through that whole new transition. So I want to talk about work because you have one of the most unique jobs that I've ever come across. So you get paid to be a backcountry snowboarder. Yeah. I don't know a lot of women who get paid to be backcountry snowboarders. It's definitely a really small niche and it's about creating that platform for yourself Yeah. So I want to talk about this because you had to do this. Obviously, this was all you carving your own career. What sort of tactics did you use to carve a career for yourself in backcountry snowboarding? And actually, can we step back a little bit? I want to know, what was it like the first time you went up some huge mountain on top of Alaska, I'm guessing, and someone was like, okay, I'm guessing you're probably with a bunch of dudes. And they're like, okay, snowboard down, find your line. What went through your head? Uh, you know, it's been such a huge learning curve. And two seasons ago, I had an opportunity to film with some of the most prestigious men in snowboarding. Nicholas Mueller, Manuel Diaz, Austin Sweeten. These guys are very experienced. And I was given an opportunity to film with Absinthe Films, who also yeah. is a very, very um, serious counterpart of filming up in Alaska. And I was invited on this trip with them and had no idea if I could even snowboard down the mountain. And as soon as I got out on my first line and rode the whole thing, I was like, game on. But it was that intimidation factor of like, I don't even know if I'm capable of doing this, but just believing and like knowing that that was where my passion and my heart stood. I think that's such a true sign of success. It's like, if you can follow your passion, you can do anything you want. It's when you start having that fear and doubt. That self-doubt is something that I struggle with daily. Like even on these, well, I'm not a very good snowboarder, but even on these little runs at Mammoth, (laughs) I had a lot of self-doubt about just going straight down. What sort of things and tactics do you use to get over self-doubt in your life, in your head? I have honestly just found a way to be really present when I'm snowboarding, when I come across fear. I try to just really fine tune how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that and getting to the root of why those emotions are happening. Mm. And 
if it's not something that I can truly justify being afraid of, if it's something that happened because I got hurt before, or it's because I'm really scared of fear of failure or whatever it is, I just have to fine tune what that is. And then I try to be really present, standing there breathing and just going, okay, I'm here. Let's so create it. Can we dive a little bit deeper into the fear of failure? Is that yes. something with that I struggle with deeply? And you know, doing this podcast was partly a way for me to get over fear of failure because I knew that if I was going to fail, I was going to fail in front of lots of people listening. And then I had to do it every week and get back up and do it again. And it gives me massive anxiety every time before I do an interview. I'd love to hear your tactics on dealing with fear of failure. Oh, it's so interesting because for me, I was an only child. I had a single mom. She, your mom sounds like she was a badass. Let's. She yeah, was. Tell me about and her. She was, and she. She believed in me so wholeheartedly that I always was so scared to disappoint her. Mm. So I would show up at contests, and if I didn't do well, it was like this pressure on me. I would start the contest knowing that I was going to fail, you know, because I was never going to live up to the drive that she had for me, even though she was so proud of me. She was like my biggest supporter. It was that what I put on myself, you know, the pressure I put on myself. And so I think if we can separate ourselves from the expectation, it really takes you down. And it's like, if I can just be myself and do what I know I'm capable of doing and talk in authentic ways, it's going to be relatable to somebody and I'm going to be able to do the best I can. But if I'm always focused on expectation and what people are going to think of me, you're never going to get out of that rut. You're always going to have something that's looming over you. So even now, there's been some probably ridiculous comments about you continuing to be active while pregnant. How do you tune those out? I just thank people for their concern because I don't think that it's really... <laughs> it's really nice of you. It's, it's not my job to tell people... It's not my job to judge people back. It's my job to understand that we can have a conversation and it can be um, great dialogue for us all to learn. And I think it's reasonable for me to be able to say why I feel comfortable doing what I'm doing and not have to justify not doing it. And so I simply thank people and go on my way and keep doing things, knowing that I am doing the best I can. And that's what I'm going to do is being a mom as well. For me, I've been able to tune it out because I just know what I can do. You're so positive, which is so awesome. I'm really big on positivity. And actually, I had someone call me out and tell me, like, my pod, my podcast was too positive. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> like, that's not a bad thing. You're a dark I live in a good world then. <laughs> yeah. And I just, there's a lot of negative news out there. So I wanted to put positivity out there. I think there's plenty of negativity if you want to find it. But you've had to go through some stuff. I read that your your father passed away when you were 14. Yep. And your mom passed away last year to cancer, which yep. is so hard. In, you know, how have you cultivated this positive mindset and has it come from this adversity as well? Yeah. When I for, when I lost my dad, it was like it definitely jolted me in a way that was unhealthy and I did not have the tools at that age to really turn my life into a positive outlook. And I was going down a road that could have been really dangerous and negative. And what do you mean by that? Like I think for me, I was just, I was like partying a lot and I was involved with people that were not good influences. And I was just getting into snowboarding and snowboarding is an amazing sport, but it has that edginess that I can yeah, take you both ways. This was in 2000. 
Yeah, exactly. 2099 is when my dad passed away. But between 2000 and 2002. Yeah, those days of snowboarding were pretty, still kind of gritty. Exactly. And I was, I was always around older kids and just kind of being swayed in a direction that could have been uh, something that was not a healthy direction for me to be the athlete that I am today. But it also helped me really figure out who I was. And my mom really helped to guide me. She would just show up unannounced at certain places. And I would be like, oh, I have to be accountable. Oh, wow. And so she really did help guide me. show up unannounced. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty epic mom. And your mom was an older mom. Yeah. She was 39 when she had me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so she had been through that herself. You know, like she knew there was nothing that she, that I was getting away with. (laughs) She knew it all. So your dad... Passed away when you were 14. That's really hard. My dad passed away when I was 11. And I, I mean, it was hard at a young age. I was like, you just never know when you're going to go. And I took with that, I have to live life to the fullest. And it often came a little bit at a fault. I put myself in a lot of risky situations. Um, well, and I think that's part of it is what loss creates in us, can create in us, is a stronger will to live more vivaciously. And to live on the edge because you want to, you've already seen what it's like and how fast life goes. And so why hold back? Yeah. And that was my introduction as well. And I was like, well, screw it. I'm just going to do this and do it my way. And I don't really care what happens. But I was also smart. Like I Mm. was going to school and I was getting good grades and I wasn't being stupid in like that way. It was just more so how I was how I was helping myself and like self-talk to myself was I just needed to be on a more positive platform knowing that I was going to be able to do what I wanted to do and I couldn't be focused on people around me. Changing your self-talk is pretty big. Have you had some mentors that have helped helped you do that or how did you develop that? I developed it through, I mean, yes, I've had so many amazing people really kind of show me the ropes. Um, I've had some big injuries And having to force myself to sit and be quiet and realize that my mind is my strongest tool is probably the biggest thing that has taught me how to be patient and calm and to really know who I am. Do you meditate? Are you spiritual? I meditate. I think that it's one of the most beneficial things for us to be wholesome and alive. What does your meditation practice look like? During... um, During the busiest times of the winter, it's typically non-existent. Like in a focused, I get up at 4 a.m., I'm sitting there for a half hour. My meditation more becomes movement during Mm. the winter where I can focus on my breathing. If I'm going to be hitting a big jump, if I'm hiking something, that is where I'm meditating. I'm focusing on my steps. I'm counting my steps. I'm focusing on my breath. I'm not thinking about the future, the past. I'm just really in the tune. So it becomes kind of abstract. During the summer and uh, like the off seasons, I really try to spend time. If I'm on a run, I'll sit down for 20 minutes and I'll just sit there Mm. and disrupt my fast-paced lifestyle to really just be mindful and be in tune. Because I feel like when we're in nature, it really forces us to listen if we want to. And we can learn a lot. I feel so much calmer doing this interview today than when I was at the outdoor retailer show in this giant city of Denver in a conference room, which was awesome. But yeah, it was in trees and trees change you. Yeah. But what kind of like, did you, did you learn med- certain kinds of meditation? Did you read like Thich Nhat Hanh or 
Pima Shadron, or is there any sort of spiritual teachers you've, you've kind of looked to? My mom, once again, was, uh, she meditated like an hour a day. <gasps> she wow. was, it was something that I grew up watching. She would always sit in a chair and I wasn't allowed to talk to her for an hour every day. And she made it so that it was something that was so normal, but seemed so strange at the same time. That's so like cool. Like as a kid, I was like, what are you doing? And she would always try to get me to do it, but I just didn't understand and I always was really busy. So movement was like my meditation, you know, like I was like, I don't need to sit there. I'm, I'm meditating. I'm fine. But then really watching her go through it, she became um, really involved in like silent meditation retreats. And we went to India together and she had helped um, create this ashram there. And I got to spend two weeks with her traveling around India. And that was really a spiritual enlightening experience. How old were you? That was in 2008. So, um, not that long ago, but it was an amazing experience just to really see what what color and noise could do to enlightenment because that country is so incredible uh, and they have so many roots in meditation and being spiritual, but it's also so vibrant and loud and there's so much going on. So it's really separating yourself from that distraction. And then... Um, I, Thich Nhat Hanh has been huge. She really inspired me to read his books and um, finding books that have been really relevant to protecting the space of athletes' minds and making us more fine-tuned with who we are and empowering our minds um, has kind of brought me to where I am. And I can't tell you, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I don't know any of the research behind it. I just... I love being able to sit and meditate and I have apps on my phone and I just try to really be. Well, that's so cool. What apps on your phone do you have? Um, it's like the time, it's a timer one. It's like insight timer. Cool. And then I have another one um, because I'm pregnant. I'm hoping to do like a hypnobirth, which is like a meditative kind of trance that you get yourself into where you're just talk, talking with positive affirmations through your labor. So I have that one. I mean, there's so many. There's Headspace and all those. But the the Insight Timer has been really helpful because they have so many guided meditations. And for every type of personality or attitude or uh, emotion that you're going through, it has one to like calm you down and break it up. Oh, that's so helpful. Someone asked me today, like, how do I deal with anxiety? She said she went for a walk for like a 15 mile walk and she was just hoping to tune out. And all she could do is think about her list of things to do. And something I've found, like if that happens to me, even if I'm like laying in bed and I can't sleep, I just pick one word and I say it over and over and over. Like if I'm laying in bed and I can't sleep, I just sit there and I say sleep, sleep, sleep. It's like you pick something that is totally separated from your emotion. So what do you say when you're going down this like giant Alaskan mountain? To be honest, breathe, 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 breathe. I'm going to get you a cool book on breath. (laughs) That's awesome. Do you have any crazy stories about being in the backcountry? I mean, there's so many crazy moments that you experience out there. And every single day you go out, it changes you because you have to expand your mind and how you operate. Um, I think the biggest one, it's, it's not even, Alaska has just really influenced who I am because those mountains are so huge and you can never expect what you're going to get. <laughs> it's like so far out. You just have to be ready for anything at any time. I've never been, but it sounds amazing. I mean, there has to have been times when 
avalanche scares have, have been there. No? Or... Yeah. I put myself in a situation two seasons ago that was definitely scary. And I learned a lot from it. And I think it's just really separating ourselves from the human factor element and becoming more fine-tuned with risk and knowing that as a human, I'm going to make mistakes, but how can I learn from them? So what happened really quickly? It was just, it was really unstable. And I put mm. myself on a slope I shouldn't have been on. And I did not get taken down in the avalanche. The avalanche was huge. I was able to stay on the slope. Um, I learned a lot about... So you rode... I just stuck my claws into the snow behind me and was able to avoid going down with the rest of the snow. Wow. That's so scary. Well, I'm so glad you didn't go down with the rest of the snow. And now you do avalanche training, though. Yeah, I'm really inspired to help others, men and women, just become educated because I think creating a voice for ourselves is the best way to stay safe out there and helping other people create a voice helps them stay safe. And it's just like this ongoing cycle of passing down knowledge is really going to help keep everybody in a domino effect safer. I love that you do things and you don't, you don't play the, I'm just going to focus on females. I'm going to be the only female, but you are, you're like the, the first female to get the cover of trans world five years, the first female to get these huge parts in these movies. You've been the first female for so many things. I mean, is that part of your tactic to just, just be you? And yeah. And it's strange. It's unfortunate in some ways that it's the first for all of these things, because I think women should just have more opportunity to do these things and not have it be such a big deal. But I think I just really try to be authentic to me and I do things my way. And I just, I've always been influenced by guys. And so that has really pushed me to stand up for who I am and what I want to do. And progression and whatever. And that has led me on a path to be more influential than I guess I would have been otherwise. No, you're definitely influential. <laughs> so let's go back to these tactics because you've carved this beautiful career for yourself, getting paid to be a backcountry snowboarder. What are some of the tactics you use from going to school, studying certain things? When I was younger, my the thing that I always remember, I have always journaled. And the thing that I always remember telling myself is I just wanted to inspire. Like inspire has always been something that was like written in my journal. And who knew what that would be? But I got to a point where in contests, I really just sucked. I sucked. I could not <laughs> make the finals. And if I did, I would get last in them. And I, I just did not have a place to really shine. And it was my own will. I don't know if it was that fear of failure we were talking about or what it was. And I started going through some injuries that it was like this resistance that would not give up where I knew that I was on the wrong path. Mm. And sure enough, I had a really big injury in 2012 where I was off snow for a year. And I just kind of had this light bulb effect where I was like, oh my gosh, I've been chasing something that was not authentic to me. Here I have a whole platform that Burton is supporting me to be their backcountry girl. Why am I not just taking it? Why am I not just going down that road and seeing what I can do with it? And so I started just really following that passion and I just saw this it ignited. Like I just was so much more happy and that's where I progressed. But you're also a really good athlete to your sponsors. Yeah, but I think it's a constant balance. I went to school because I wanted to have a backup plan. 
Uh, my mom really insisted on that as well. So we kind of just created a, a way that would work for me. I went to a community college here in Mammoth and then I went to University of Phoenix online and that gave me a platform to do it while I was still traveling. And finishing school, going to school, I wanted to know why I was a marketing tool for my sponsors. Mm. Because that's essentially who we are as pro snowboarders, pro athletes. And so I wanted to know how I could better influence them and be a positive asset to a company. And so that's kind of what I learned in school was like how to be the flip side of what I was. And I started realizing it wasn't just about snowboarding. It was about communication. It was about product feedback. It was about being involved, making an impact, whether it be with other women riders or development, whoever I was, it was just about how I could really give back to these companies. And you do give back. What is your, do you have like a nonprofit? So we, we work really closely with different nonprofits. My husband, who's a pro skier and I, we both are really passionate about protect our winters. Um, the young and brave foundation are ones that we are really strongly rooted in because of our connection with cancer, protecting the environment mm. and where we play, obviously, because those are like our foundations, um, boarding for breast cancer as well. So Chris is a skier, your husband. Yeah. How did you meet your husband and how long ago did you meet him? I love it. First of all, snowboarder, skier. You don't see a lot of those couple dynamics around. I know. And it's really funny because it had nothing to do with skiing and snowboarding, except that we both lived in Mammoth. We met when he was 16. I was 19 at an ice cream store here in Mammoth. Oh, you, he's a young, younger man. Yeah. I love it. An ice cream exactly. store. And my mom even like brought it up like, are you sure his mom's okay with this? Because he was younger than me. Um, 16 and 19. That's a good age gap. I yeah, like it. Exactly. Um, he quickly turned 17. So it's really only like two and a half years. It's all good. Years. He's a stud. <laughs> I saw, I saw his movie yeah. adventure. Yeah. He's, a, he's done a great job and we, we just kind of hit it off. He had lost his dad, um, just that, that year. And I had lost my dad a couple years prior. And so it just really brought our communication skills mm. together and helped us realize what loss felt like. And we were able to connect on that. And then it just, we kept realizing that our past were kept going the same way. I love that you you married your pretty much right after high school sweetheart. We laugh about it now. We we see 16-year-olds and we're like, oh my gosh, it's terrifying that that's how young we were. That's he great. <laughs> so were you guys on the Mammoth snowboard team or? No, I worked at a team? restaurant and I went to school and he we were skiing and snowboarding, but the only way we met was because uh, he worked at an ice cream shop and I have a sweet tooth. And you kept going into the ice cream shop. Okay, so you have a sweet tooth, but and you're now part of a of a sweet company. Yes, we're part of an organic bakery here called Deserted Organic Bake Shop. And it was pretty much in lieu of him working at the ice cream shop. And we it's were like, like real desserts, not the other kind of bake. That, exactly. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about this. This is pretty cool. Yeah, so our friends opened it the year we got married in September of 2011. Uh and we just helped them open the storefront. And it's been really awesome to watch it evolve. And we're basically the professional taste testers. Is that what I like to say? So you have not only the dream job of snowboarding, but you're a professional organic dessert taste tester. Yep. I kind of hate you. That's Thank you. awesome. I don't hate you. I think that <laughs> is so epic. So how does that work? Are you guys part owners? You get shares of the company? Yeah, we're part owners. And um, so we all kind of have like a great communication and work towards the same things. I don't really ever work in the shop. Uh, the people that run it, Mimi and Delaney, husband and wife, um, 
work in the shop and they're uh, incredible. She is very particular and so is he. And so everything really does an amazing job at hitting the right sweet tooth. So like what kind of stuff do they have there? What's something I could go and order tomorrow? You can get any type of cookie you want, vegan, gluten-free, paleo. We really cater to like uh, specialty needs. And then they have cakes. They have pies in a jar, which are amazing. It's like little pies in a jar. Um, you can get anything you want that's sweet. I love that this is your job. Okay, so let's go back to marriage life. And now you're having a baby. Did your kind of spiritual life play a role in I mean, I did listen on the other podcast. You you had your you you guys got pregnant shortly after your mother passed away. How did your mom's passing of cancer, which totally sucks, I'm so sorry to hear that. How did that kind of affect your decision to have a baby, and how did spirituality play in this? To be quite frank, it was I had a crazy experience with dreams, and I've always been a very vivid and lucid dreamer, and I had an incident that happened on the mountain where I essentially, I got a concussion Mm. and we had been trying for a few months with nobody knowing that we were trying to have a baby. And in this concussion, I basically go through this moment of like realization. And I went to this place. It's going to sound far out. I went to this place, my mom, my dad, and my one of my childhood best friends, CR Johnson, were all sitting at a table together. And my mom said, I finally made it to them and they've all passed away. These are all people that would have been wherever she went. And she said, I finally made it to them. And now that I have, you'll be able to have a child. And it was the most trippy, craziest experience of my life. I had two other people confirm that with people coming up to me just saying, hey, I had a dream you were pregnant. And then like um, within a month, I was pregnant. And so it was just, it was meant to be. Timing is everything. And I think There's nothing that I've always lived a life of intention of timing and chasing things for the right reasons and letting um, things fall into your lap or fall out of your lap for the right reasons. And this one was definitely just meant to be. I have massive goosebumps and like almost tears in my eyes. All right. I think we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsor and we're going to come right back. This episode was brought to you by Altessa, a series of outdoor events designed for women who long for a life of discovery. So whether it's committing to a three-day weekend retreat on a mountaintop or an energetic one-day outdoor festival featuring female artists, music, and speakers, Altessa has your outdoor aspirations covered. The great thing about Altessa is women from all walks of life come to connect or even reconnect with themselves and each other in the outdoors. I'll be at some Altessa events this summer, and I'm really stoked to be part of this amazing event series. There's also some great brands involved who make this event possible and are helping lead various activities. So thanks to partners like Subaru of America, Garmin, Osprey, Sea Summit, Smart Wool, The North Face, Hydro Flask, Pro Bar, Solomon, Maui Gym, Black Diamond, Yakima, Olakai, Roxy, Igloo, and Leatherman. Find more about the REI Altessa events at altessa.com. That's O-U-T-E-S-S-A dot com. Okay, so we're just talking about spirituality. So boy or girl or surprise. We're waiting to find out. I love that. Yeah, we really, for us, I don't know if it's selfish, but it's we both have successful careers. And I really wanted this child to just have its own identity. And I wanted to be able to go through my pregnancy without people comparing it to me or Chris. 
And if it was a girl, it was going to be a little Kimmy and she's going to snowboard. And if it was Chris, he was going to be a little skier and he was going to, you know. So I just, I really wanted to separate all that. And I wanted the baby to create its identity and just come into the world fresh and totally without um, any preconceived notion. I love that. And so maybe we'll even, we'll be able to tell you what it is in the outro. Exactly. Or we'll put it on Instagram yeah. as soon as this cute kid is born. <laughs> Fasani. Fasani is Italian. It's, it's Swiss, Swiss, but it's Italian. Yeah, it's from um, this, the, I'm going to totally butcher this, but I think it's from the northern border of Italy on the Swiss side. Will the kid take, will, be, will it be like both names? You don't nope, know. it will just be Ben Chetler because legally I am... Kimberly Ben Chetler. Um, Fasani is now my middle name, but professionally, I just chose to stay Fasani. I love it. So have you spent some time in the Alps? I have, but not enough. I spent uh, three seasons ago, I spent a lot of time in Italy. It was one of the only places with snow. So we spent like three weeks over there and it was awesome. But I haven't actually been to where my family's from. Well, I guess that's just on the bucket list with peanut and toe. Exactly. What is next? Like, this this Grom's probably going to just travel. Yeah, we're hoping it's so hard. It's like I'm a true believer that these kids come into our life to teach us as well. I don't think I'm just going to sit here and be like, this is who you are. And I think this kid is going to have a purpose of its own. So really playing up the first um, couple of years when we are in control of uh, where we travel and stuff. Um, I'm We're hoping to just do some things uh go to japan for long periods of time like put roots down you know so rather than short trips longer trips exactly longer trips really dive into the culture allow the kid to kind of just be there and embrace all the people and vice versa and then i mean we have a beautiful van that chris designed for his couple his project and we want to be able to take that around and go climbing and just be outside and expose the kid to as much nature as possible because I feel like that is where our roots really developed Mm. and I think that that is wholesome for anybody so So this van for those of you listening it's it's called what's the stealthy marmot stealthy marmot there's a movie GoPro put out called chasing Chasing adventure I went to this premiere it was awesome the art is just incredible yeah, Chris is an amazing artist, but we also worked really closely with our dear friend, Scotty Smith. And Scotty is the one who did the whole build out with Chris, and they made an art piece out of it. When you met Chris, did you know he was an artist? No, and he would never even say that he is until maybe this last year, because he's really been exposed to so much so many more bigger platforms. Hopefully we'll have some of his pictures to put on Instagram, but he's got incredible pictures. Yeah, and it all started with just him creating his ski designs and doodling and stuff. And now he's done like a huge wall mural. And I'm so crazy. fascinated by artists. I've just interviewed two artists recently, and their stories are incredible. One was never a professional artist. He just started using an iPad Pro and sketching, and he's made a huge living like doing Instagram, almost cartoons every day. Pretty incredible. It's so awesome what people are doing. So I, I have a question. You grew up in Truckee, so you know you could have. Back then, even when you and Chris met, you could have kind of been a ski bum or a snowboard bum just by working at a restaurant and living in a town like Mammoth. I mean, now I just met a lifty and he said he gets employee housing. The kid was so stoked. He's kind of like a ski bum for the year. Um, Actually, we met a couple of lift operators and they told us their story and they were so interesting. It seems like Mammoth Mountain is one of those resorts that's able to provide for people who kind of want to live that lifestyle. But it doesn't seem like you can just go 
like I lived in Breck in 2002 and I was able to just wait tables and like host a local TV show and I made it totally fine. No problem. It seems like real estate's really expensive now in a lot of these mountain towns. How do you make it any advice if you want to be like a sort of ski bum and have a more cushy job and live here? I think it just all comes down to being able to live in ski towns, like you're saying, is really expensive. Finding a job that's going to not just be seasonal and something that's going to have that turnover rate with other people where like you can really find something that is a staple in your town. Waiting tables in Mammoth is a great way to make a living, especially if you are willing to give up from Thanksgiving until January 5th because you can make a lot of cash. I did that for years. I worked at a restaurant for six years here doing that and you can. But also finding something that makes you happy, working firefighter, paramedic, mm. like something like that where you know you're giving back to your community in the off season and in the busy season might make it more stable. For me, I I knew that I wanted to be part of product development with these companies. So finding a way into a company where you can give product feedback and test out products, that might be a way for you to be able to be more sustainable during the winter and take the winters off, but know that you're during the summers, maybe you're waiting tables, but you have something coming in both sides. Yeah, I think it's changing. Like Bend, Oregon is one of those towns with, you know, great skiing, snowboarding, and there's a lot of places to work. And I saw two cool co-working spaces in Mammoth. Seems like yeah. things are on the up. And I think being in a mountain town that caters to summer visitors as well, uh, mountain biking is really big in Mammoth. And so working for the mountain year round, finding that job that really can give you the outlet to be part of the community, but also still play outside all day. Yeah, people seem like they live good lives here. I was, we were just realizing how much we want to move to the mountains, maybe at least You're for summer. Welcome. Oh, it's awesome here. What are your kind of morning routines or your training regime? You've managed to stay super fit through your pregnancy. I am a big believer on just moving. I try to move every day, whether it be um, before I was pregnant, I would always be on long trail runs. I love getting lost in the mountains and just 12, 13 miles a couple a couple times a week was like 13 miles a few times a week. Yeah. yeah that's and that was good. Like, I loved, I loved just being able to go out there and like lose myself, be gone for three to five hours and just come back. And like, you're in this like new headspace where, you know, you've put the time and energy into your body. And that works a lot better for me than being in a gym mm. up here in Mammoth, where I know that the outdoors are such a huge playground. But I also work really closely with a trainer, Brad Jones, B Project down in Carlsbad has done such amazing things for me. He really helped me get back on my feet after I had my big injury. And just understanding the fundamentals of staying fit and how it's going to make me a better athlete year-round. What was your injury? Um, I tore my ACL, MCL, PCL, and broke my pelvis and then just had a huge hematoma. That's a no-joke injury. Yeah. But I... I, being with the right people and being an athlete already, I knew that staying healthy and fit and active was going to be what got me back. And that's the same thing with pregnancy. I just know that even if I'm really tired and that helped me through my first trimester was just move. Like even if it's only half hour a day, if I go outside and I move, I'm going to feel better mentally. I'm going to feel better physically. And overall, that's going to be a better pregnancy. Yeah, I say running is my Prozac, but when I can't run, I'm a real grump to be around. But I think it's just part of our language, right? It's like, what makes you happy? You have to find that. What did you do when you were injured? 
Because you seem a little bit like me in the sense that like you like to run. Yeah, it was that injury. I was off snow for a year. I was not allowed to do anything um, like cardio wise. I could not really do any cardio for like seven months, oh. which was a nightmare. My mental game became meditation. And that mm. is where I learned to turn the TV off, turn the music off and just be myself because being able to be quiet and fight through all those distractions and just like be in tuned and learn about who I am made me so much more strong after and really has given me so much more appreciation for sitting still. Now, any books that you've been gifted or you recommend or you gift often to people? Totally. Uh, two, Be Like Water. I don't even know who the author is. We'll look but it if up. you look it up, Be Like Water, uh, Game Changer. It's a martial artist, art, mar- martial arts book, and it's um, incredible. One of my friends gave it to me probably about 15 years ago. And it's the number one recommendation because I can read that over and over and over and I always get a new message out of it. And it just talks about how we move through life as water. You know, like don't let things, don't get stuck on things. Just constantly evolve and flow. And then the other one is uh, Mind Gym, which is a really great book for athletes, um, both self-help books in some capacity. And then... uh I mean, there's so many, but those are two that are like staples. And then um, I just try to be really cognitive of what I'm in need of. I listen to a lot of books on CD and on uh, audio now. Do you cook? I love cooking. What is your favorite meal to cook? I make Thai food a lot. I make like a curry. Um, I love if I have not that many ingredients in the fridge, trying to throw something something together. My mom was the queen of 30-minute meals, and I try to do the same. Like, what can I make quick that's, like, flavorful and good? And a lot of veggies um, and protein. You'll have to come over, although I live with a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> if you could throw any party, who's coming? Where is it? What are we listening to? What are we eating? Oh, amazing. I think I would throw it at the top of some amazing peak let's just say at the top of mammoth since we're here and it would be uh bring your own veggies we're gonna have a campfire and we're gonna have to figure out how to cook it and we're gonna be howling at the moon and running around with headlamps and anybody's welcome who has the desire to just be free and wild in the mountains i love that that sounds like a really fun party what's the best advice you've ever been given The best advice I was ever given was from my mom. And she said, fly like an eagle, land like a bird. And I don't know what it ever really meant. But for me, it was always like, be graceful and land smoothly. And Mm. there's so many moments where she would say it at the bottom of a contest or just over the phone when she was like trying to encourage me to do things. And it was just, you know, go big, go big, but land with grace or like be delicate with yourself. And that is something that's really held true to me now. I try to be mindful of like the impact that I have, but also not being afraid to go wherever I want to go. I love that. And you have this gymnastics background. Is that correct? Yeah. I feel like every person I meet who's had a gymnastics background in action sports thrives. And maybe it's just because we know how our body, we know air awareness, we know our body, 
you spend so much time working on your body and how it moves in gymnastics that you become really, I don't even know why, but it, it does. It really uh, makes a huge impact on who yeah. we are as athletes. If I have kids, I'm making them do gymnastics. Yeah, me too. Okay. This one already does gymnastics in my stomach, so. <sighs> That's so awesome. So if you could go back and give 15-year-old Kimmy, we ask all our guests this question because 15 years old is usually kind of a rough time in life. If you could go back and give 15-year-old your 15-year-old self, one piece of advice, what would you tell her? I would tell myself to not be afraid to be who I was and to believe that anything was possible. Because even though people tell you that when you're that age, if I would have known what I became now, it would have been so impactful for me to just know that seriously, anything I dreamt about doing, I could do. Because my dreams have now been far outreached by the reality. That is so awesome. How do you reach any advice on to others on how they can live more wildly and live their dreams? Like, how can we set our intentions and make them happen? I think it's just taking chances, you know, standing up for change. Like, if you want something, don't be afraid to do it. It's going to be really scary to step out and like reach for that unattainable goal that you think is unreachable. But if you if you don't reach for it, you're never going to know what it's like. Such good advice. And just lastly, how about making a living following your passions? I think that's that's a tricky one. Hustling. You have to work hard and you have to find ways to make yourself authentic. How can you stand out? And if you really love something, give it your all because people will notice after time and time again of you giving all your energy, they will notice your work ethic. Okay, I'm going to keep hustling. Kimmy, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Where thank can you. we find more? Uh, KimmyFasani.com, at KimmyFasani. And we'll link to all of these in the show notes. That was awesome. Kimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story, and congratulations. Kimmy and her husband, Chris, had a baby boy, Koa John Benchetler, during a snowstorm the very first week in March. Congrats, guys. I hope you're having the best time ever. If you like this show, please write a review on iTunes. That's what helps us grow. That's what helps us keep putting out content for free. Here's one from avid sportsman NJ who wrote, this podcast has been an inspiration to me and my wife. We listen to it on our car rides when we go out and explore and it sets us in the mood of appreciating what nature has to offer. Thank you so much, Shelby, for your effort to interview all these amazing people with wild ideas. Thank you and thank you for listening. Thank you for writing this review on iTunes and to you, Hopefully you'll write a review as well. Wherever you are in the world, don't forget, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week. <laughs>